Welcome to Going Back, a rewatch podcast about the television show Lost, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Hydar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Going Back, a Lost rewatch podcast. I'm Adam Todd Brown. And I'm Olivia Hydar. And that makes us your hosts. Olivia, how's it going? You going out and doing lots of outdoor activities today there in the Midwest? <laughs> yeah, I'm spending the day out in the beautiful Indiana sunshine. I do a little topless sunbathing <laughs> on a day like this. It's nice. Yeah, for posterity, it is currently negative five degrees where I live. But hey, you know, the weather app says... With wind and humidity, it feels like negative 24, so, you know. Oh, yeah, wind chill, real feel, some places call it, real feel. That kind of sounds like a sex toy thing. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, me and Chet Wilde at one point were thinking of teaming up and going to Chicago for this Bills-Bears game happening this weekend. It is projected to be minus 13 with the wind chill Yeah, at that no. game. Hard fucking pass. I'm so glad yeah, we this didn't is, do it. This is not the time to go to Chicago. <laughs> I lived on the south side of Chicago for a long time, and my apartment there, we didn't know how to get the radiator working. Oh, shit. So in the winter, we had ice on the inside of our windows. <laughs> fucking poor 18-year-old kids, like, just yeah. walking around the apartment <laughs> with, like, comforters draped over us. Nice. Ugh. So, like we always do about this time... We are covering some episodes of Lost. These are a couple good ones. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We're doing episode 17 and episode 18. Episode 17 is called In Translation. Episode 18, Numbers. Can anyone out there who's yeah. seen Lost before guess what numbers they are? <laughs> I mean, that's the episode that yeah. makes that a thing. I mean, like, both of these episodes are, I would say, pretty huge for the future of the show on both a island mythological level with the numbers and on a character level with Jin. Yes. Where I think in translation is, does such a good job at pivoting the audience's relationship with Jin yes. because he's been such a problem character for the entire series so far. He's been such an asshole and it's hard for people to relate to him. And this episode kind of opens with him being an asshole. I mean, yeah. it opens with a really tight close-up of his eye. And mm -hmm. my video froze briefly when I was watching this episode. So yeah. for a good few seconds, I was like, I do not remember this scene from the original series. <laughs> like, they are just lingering on this man's this eye. He's not blinking. This is really avant-garde for... <laughs> Early 2000s network television. And then it eventually started working and I realized right, right. what was happening. Yeah, this is a Jin flashback episode. Mm -hmm. And it kind of opens. I mean, there's that shot of his eye, but then it opens on Jin trying to talk son's dad into letting yeah. him marry his daughter. Mm -hmm. And it works. There's a really nice bit of dialogue there where son's father is like well if you want to marry my daughter you have to come work for me and jen's like no problem i'll do it yeah and the dad is like why would i let my daughter marry someone who gives up on their dreams that easy and jen says your daughter is my dream what a line <sighs> it's part of why it's frustrating to watch 
rewatched the early season is that you know they are such a good couple yeah and there's such a deep romance at the heart of their relationship that's so great this is the first episode where we are meeting mr pike too right i don't think we've actually seen her dad before yeah i think up to this point her dad's just been mentioned as being a bad dude and people are very intimidated by him and you see why in this scene he's so scary it's great without really doing anything overt and there's a scene in this episode that we've already seen before where jen comes bursting into the room covered in blood and that's finally explained on this episode but before we get to all that back on the island here comes sun wearing a bikini and jen does not like it Yeah, Yunjin Kim is obviously a, an extremely beautiful woman, and you know it's easy on a show set on a tropical island to get the occasional bikini scene in, which is always. I'm sure the the network was happy to have a little bit of that, but and when Jin come, does overreact, yeah, he does overreact, but also when she came walking out, like even before Jin overreacted. My first thought, yeah. like having not seen the show since it was on in 2004, my first thought was, oh, Jen's going to overreact to that for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's been his vibe the whole <laughs> season, which is part of what this episode is like focused on. And he does indeed overreact. He runs over and like tries to cover her up with a blanket mm-hmm. and eventually yeah. kind of knocks her to the ground, mm-hmm. drags her a little bit. And it's all very excessive. And Michael comes over to intervene and he hits Jen. But uh uh-oh, twist. Son steps between them and just Mm -hmm. slaps the taste out of Michael's mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Really lays it on him. It's a good move. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was a pretty shocking moment. I don't think anyone saw Son slapping Michael coming because they've been kind of allies up to this point it's true but like it's really smart fast thinking on son's part yeah to be like i can redirect this and it's also showing that she at least partially trusts that michael will understand why she's doing it yes like it's something where Obviously, it probably pissed him off <laughs> and hurt, and but like after reflection, can be like, okay, I understand how that kind of saved that situation. And yeah, she does. She explains it to him. She says, you know, I was just yeah. trying to trying to help you out. You don't know what Jen's capable of. And I don't know if you're Michael in that situation, you got to kind of be like, lady, we're on an island, like. No one knows what anyone's capable of. And whatever Jen was capable of back on the mainland yeah, probably doesn't have that going for him here unless we're talking like really extreme fight training of some sort. Yeah. Well, she just means that he is capable of going to extreme lengths. Like she knows that he is capable of committing violence if put in the right situation. And I think that's kind of what she's warning. It's not like he can do anything in particular. It's just he will go off and could go too far. I'll tell you one thing he's capable of, driving a goddamn golf ball. (laughs) Jen's got a swing on him. They cut to him hitting rocks with a driver. I love them going to the golf course to, like, blow off Steve. But on the island, it's such a funny real-world thing. (laughs) And uh, Hurley is trying to get him to go fishing. Jen declines. 
Jen is just kind of being an outcast mm-hmm. on this episode and on the show in general up to this yeah. point. He's really He's... separating himself from the group, like yeah. intentionally, but also just through his actions. Yeah, well, and also like it's partially because obviously the language barrier is an issue, but he is kind of using that as a crutch to avoid being a part of the group. Right. Yeah. He's avoiding things because he's pissed off and scared and doesn't know how to deal with that shit. Yeah. Another storyline we got running through this episode, the, I would argue, very weird romance between Saeed and Shannon. Aw. I like their (laughs) romance. I've always been a fan of Saeed and Shannon. What's weird? I don't know. She just doesn't seem like Saeed's type. I mean, I guess, but, but like, again, they are on an island. Like they're on an island, and she is one of the more successful character arcs of the season. I think is her kind of coming into her, her own and realizing, you know, speaking of Jin, like what he's capable of. Like she's learning what she's capable of in a totally different capacity, and I think yeah. that is something that's. I could see Saeed being attracted to. Also, Maggie Grace (laughs) is a very, you know, attractive actress. So I think the thing that might give you weird vibes is Boone. He's a problem. Boone is a huge problem. Yes. He is the creepiest part of their relationship because he's so fucking latched onto her and like weirdly defensive about it's so creepy i wonder if he's better or worse with women who aren't his sister because if he's (laughs) like like you slept with your sister once and you're this attached like what's it like yeah when when you're sleeping with someone you're like supposed to sleep with (laughs) that's the thing like he's such a good looking guy he's so hot he's got those piercing blue eyes Ian Summerholder is a gorgeous man, but like Boone, it's impossible for me to believe that he has ever had sex because (laughs) he just gives such virgin energy. Yeah, he really does. The other storyline happening here, Michael is trying to build his raft. Yes. Yeah. Which seems like such an insane plan. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. what else are you going to do? But yeah, but like. He's like an engineer, and so that's kind of what's cool is you see the raft, like the in-progress version of the raft, and it's like, it doesn't look insane. It looks like something that you could imagine people building in this situation, like out of what they have. Yeah, I mean, they don't have much other choice. Yeah. So the problem with building that raft is, uh uh-oh, someone set it on fire. Yes, This is the big main mystery plot of the episode. And everyone thinks Jin did it. Yeah. And when Sun runs off looking for Jin, she finds him and his hand is hurt. And at first she assumes. Yeah, he's been burned. And so she assumes Jin did it also. Flashback Island. (laughs) Jin is called into a meeting with Sun's father and learns he's getting a promotion. He is now Mr. Pike's special assistant and his first task is to visit an employee and deliver a message and i don't know how jen wasn't immediately like oh you want me to fuck this guy up huh well because he's a nice guy (laughs) (laughs) you know that's the kind of tragedy of this story is he's been like forced into this profession like special assistant he's just 
an enforcer. That's all that he is. And I love how he tries to kind of go down the middle and do what Mr. Pike says without compromising his morality. And it makes him feel so awful because the guy is so pathetic and like gives him the puppy. And that's where the puppy came from and son's flashback. And like, it's just really, I think really well done. The slow build of slowly eating away at his ethics. Yeah. You can tell the guy assumes that Jen is there to kill him. Yeah. At least beat the shit out of him or kill him or yeah. Which is, it's kind of a good little piece of world building because Mm -hmm. up to this point, we know son's father is a bad dude, but we don't know in what way he could just be like fucking around on his taxes or something. Like we know Jim came running in bloody that one time. Exactly. But we don't really know how bad Mr. Pike is yet. This is kind of the episode where that's yeah, we're firmly start, established. Starting to find out, because this guy's terrified. Yeah. When he finds out Jen's not going to kill him, he, like, takes his daughter's dog away and forces God. Jen to take it. It's such a wrenching scene, honestly. It's really tough, because Jen is clearly, like, devastated by this, but also kind of annoyed, because this guy is kind of being so annoying yeah i love the part where saeed tells boone that he and shannon might start dating boone responds like the scorned lover he is this is what i'm saying this is the part that's creepy about their whole thing it's so weird i thought the part where saeed kind of buys what he tells him and then sort of goes and breaks things off with shannon was weird yeah that seemed like a strange pivot for saeed i felt like he was just gonna be like fuck off dude it felt a little fillery just yeah. kind of like, we need an extra beat in his story before we get to the end where they just decide to date again. Like, that's the thing. It's like, there, it's not really an obstacle. It's just like one scene. Yeah. I would say shorten that scene and make the scene where Sawyer kicks Jin in the goddamn face a little bit longer. Because <laughs> he delivers a wallop to that face. With he does. what looks like a steel toe boot. And here's the thing. Probably. When they come dragging Jen back to camp, still handsome as ever. Not a fucking, of course. like barely a mark on that face. I mean, Daniel Day Kim is just an astonishingly good looking man. Yeah. But if you steel boot him to the face in real life, I bet that face will blow up a little. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, no one ever gets injured on loss. No. And, well... I think people have tried to, like, tie some mystical thing into that, and it's like, it's a TV show. You're not going to make your stars yeah. all fucking beat up. They get, they get injured and bad things happen, but never in a way that doesn't leave them looking hot. <laughs> yeah, they're still way. glistening when right. it's done. I think Sawyer's really funny in this episode also, like, how he's just being the benefactor, quote unquote, of the boat and not doing any work. Yeah, he buys his way he's assuming, in. Yeah, he's assuming just because he bought his way that that's all that matters. And I just always find it funny that, like, you mentioned his boots. Like, he's wearing boots and heavy denim and a fucking flannel shirt on the (laughs) beach. Like, whenever they're wearing, like, jeans and shit on the beach, I'm always like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, that is weird. You think at some point, at least cut those off into shorts. Exactly. Some jorts. Right. So... Get some shorts on. <laughs> That'd be great. That should be a scene where fucking Sawyer's like, okay, 
time has come. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta say goodbye to the bottom half of these jeans. <laughs> Cut them off. <laughs> so somehow Shannon ends up talking to Locke about her relationship with Saeed. And her brother comes up and Locke, Locke is the voice of reason several times on this episode. <laughs> yes. And this yeah. is one of those moments because Locke just looks at her and goes, what's your brother have to do with your dating life? Right. Like, oh, awkward question. It's good. Like he kind of cuts to the quick and is like, you just need to let Boone off the hook. I don't know what's going on and why he's on a hook. considering your siblings but you need to like let him know that it's not gonna happen yeah so now we're back to flashback island yeah son made dinner for Jin. it's very sweet Mm. they're about to sit down and eat and his phone rings and he's like you know what no not tonight not answering the phone tonight he doesn't answer his phone Mm -hmm. and then the home phone rings and it's like okay you're answering that fucking phone or yeah you're both gonna get murdered by your wife's father that's the vibe (laughs) (laughs) so mr pike is angry that jen didn't adequately deliver the message to that guy he was supposed to deliver the message to and now one of his factories is closed was this guy running the factory that's a little murky. the thing that i can't really remember because it wasn't super clear was what the guy did that he needed to be beaten up for yeah and it's not in the big scheme of things not super important i guess like we don't need to know no what matters is that her dad needs him to do it that mr pike is like you have to do this it doesn't matter why because that's his problem so now jen has to drive another associate of mr pike's to that employee's house to deliver that Mm -hmm. message again and man he fucks that dude up Right and proper this time. He doesn't even, like, say hello. (laughs) He just busts in and fucking beats the shit out of him. Walks in, beats the shit out of him in front of his wife and kid. Yeah, it's brutal. But still leans down and tells him, I saved your life. Yeah. Do what Mr. Pike says now. And sure enough, the other guy he brought with him had a gun the whole time. Yep. It's a nice, not too on-the-nose twist on the gin coming in bloodied scene from son's flashback where you're given enough context where you're like, yes, he did something fucked up. Like he beat the crap out of this guy, but you do see that he obviously had his reasons with Mr. Pike, but also was doing what he thought was the most ethical possible thing given the situation. Right. And yeah, it does explain the scene where Jin comes running in covered in blood because we see that scene again. Uh, mm-hmm. We see it almost in its entirety again. Yeah, it's important to reshow yeah. that. And Sun confronts him over it. And uh, after she slaps him, he looks at her all angry like says he does mm-hmm. whatever her father tells him and that he does it for them. And then he starts crying like a little baby as soon as she leaves the bathroom. Yeah, that's the extended part. I thought that wasn't in the right the previous scene, and it's really good. It's sad. I mean, you feel for him. It's again, it's a really effective pivot because Jin has been such a villain, like an impossible to relate to kind of guy, right? For most of the show, yeah, it really humanizes him quite a bit yeah. and gives him a little more depth than he had on the show up to this point. Back on the beach, everyone's confronting Jin about the boat fire. And uh, Michael punches him mm-hmm. hard. 
Yeah. Several times. One thing I love about this scene, I think it's this scene, is there's the part where Jin is watching everybody argue and it's in like backwards. Like it's they do some sort of audio mixing to the English dialogue so that you are in his perspective, like hearing what it would be like to like not understand what these people are saying. Yeah, I thought that part was really interesting. And then the next part is one of my favorite TV moments where Sun just all of a sudden screams out in English yeah. for Michael to stop hitting Jin. And uh, yeah. woof, Cat is out of the bag. And yeah. the look on Jin's face, holy shit. And I love that that isn't a thing that they just kept for easy drama for a really long time. Like it's honestly not very long at all until the secret is revealed. And I also really like that Jin has just made the decision to just be an asshole during this confrontation. He's just sick of what he doesn't know what Michael's saying, but he knows he's pissed at him. And so he's just saying whatever back at him in a snotty voice. We don't get, subtitles for what he's saying and it's really funny i think that he has just decided fuck it i i don't i'm sick of being nice to these goddamn people but at the same time he's not fighting back like he's just letting himself get punched in the face over and over and over and yeah the look on his face when he hears son speak english is priceless i mean the look on everyone's face it's just a great moment where everyone's like what the fuck you've understood us this whole time (laughs) which that is i feel like if i found that out about someone i'd been living on an island with like you fucking spy what is wrong with you but also one thing that's so great about how well everybody is characterized on this show is you also know that they probably basically understand why Like, why it was a secret as soon as it happens. Because Jin doesn't know. And so, like, of course it had to be a secret from everybody else. And once again, Locke steps in as the voice of reason here. Because Sun says that Jin didn't start this fire. He burned himself trying to put the fire out. Yeah, it was always burning since the world was turning. Yeah, yeah, he didn't start the fire. (laughs) Cola Wars, he can't take it anymore. I don't even know if that's the lyrics. If it was always burning since the world was turning. That's just what I've always thought. Anyway. Yeah, it is. It was always burning since the world was turning. Uh, (laughs) Locke steps into the fray and is like, well, if Jen did this because he has animosity toward Michael, why would he take it out on our best hope of getting off the island? Exactly. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, obviously he wants to leave the island. And so that situation is kind of diffused, but now Jin yeah. is all salty, and he wants to leave Sun to live in the cave while he goes and lives on the beach. Yeah. And he's being a real asshole. I found the part where she tells him she was going to leave, but that he changed her mind. Interesting, because she says it in English. So he still is not understanding what she's saying, but at least she told him. And then in Korean, she needed to get it out. Yeah. Then in Korean, she asks if they can just start over. And you know what? They can't, as it turns out. No. Not for a while, anyway. No. But like, I do understand. 
I mean, again, like, Jin has been such an asshole. And I think part of his grief and, like, anger and confusion in this scene is not just that Sun was hiding this from him, but that he knows why. He knows it's because of him. Yeah. Because he was pushing her away and she felt like she needed to get away. Yeah. This is a heavy episode. The it is. flashback with Jen's father. I love that. So, so good. Much. Because up to this point, we've been hearing that Jen's father was dead. Right. And he's been saying that he was raised. Yeah. That his father is dead. Like Mr. Pike in the first scene asked about his family. And Jen is obviously very ashamed of the fact that his dad was a fisherman. Right. He feels like this real class guilt. And yeah, this scene is so heartbreaking. Yeah, he comes back and basically tells his dad that and apologizes for it. Yeah. And yeah, it's very, very sweet. It just goes even further toward making Jen seem like a normal person. Right. And a guy who's made mistakes, but right. there's a base of a good person there that just needs to find its way back out. You know what we forgot to mention about the scene where Jen delivers the message to Mr. Pike's employee? Hurley is on the TV when oh, yeah. Jen comes in the house. Yeah. Which is a neat little kind of flash forward to the next episode because. Yeah, they love to do those little yeah. background things. And. Yeah, you have to kind of watch it first to catch it, but then they do another one where they just focus in on the TV and you see Hurley. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was fun. It is. You know, for this being a really scary island, Michael sure leaves Walt alone a whole lot. Well, you know, he's got to build the raft. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's got a dog in either one. <laughs> like, Yeah, he's got a dog. You know, he's got Vincent. Vincent's chill. I don't know. Yeah, safe. like, that's the thing. Like, if I were Michael, I would be happy that Walt wanted to hang out with Locke all the time. Like, a yeah. free babysitter. And they obviously have a very deep connection, Locke and Walt, because mm -hmm. Locke sits down to play some backgammon. Yeah. And in the midst of the game, he just looks at Walt and goes, so why'd you burn the raft? Yeah. And we find out Walt burned the raft because... He's moved a bunch in his life, and he doesn't want to keep moving, and he likes being on the island, and it's like, listen, yeah. motherfucker, don't. Don't do that. Well, it's funny because, like, that's such a bad explanation. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get what he means, and, like, I like that you can tell that what he really means is, like, there's something crazy about this island, and I feel compelled to stay here, but he's too young to, like, articulate that, but, like, Locke gets it. Yeah. Locke also doesn't want to leave. And it is kind of a good mystery because I feel like for most of the episode, even on rewatch, because it's been so long since I've watched this episode, I thought it was him for most of it. Like, I kind of just thought Locke burned it down, which. Yeah, I did, know, too. Because this is what healed him. Like, why would he want to leave? And that obviously becomes a huge thing for him. But, well, there's a know. part where he's watching it burn and it looks like he wants to start jerking off. Yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah, Terry O'Quinn is so good at those. His face was designed to be lit by yeah. fire. I like that we're getting a Harry O'Quinn episode coming up soon. That's Terry O'Quinn when he has hair. <laughs> uh, That's true, yeah. Yeah, I've been watching these on Hulu, and there's a thumbnail yeah. for an upcoming episode, and it's Harry O'Quinn, which is a thing I just thought to call him when he has hair. No, and it's great. I love it. Man, it was giving me 
Stepfather vibes. Was that the name of the movie? The horror movie? That oh, you mean The Stepfather? The, the stepfather, movie The Stepfather? Yeah. yeah. My, I don't yeah. have a stepfather, but yes. Absolutely. Like, just seeing that, I was like, whoa, shit, it's that that one. Yep. The I Stepfather mean, just, fucking rules, if no one's ever seen I mean, that movie's great. Anyone who's it's, never it's seen incredible. it, go fucking watch. Go watch yeah. Locke slaughter an entire family. Just watch anything that has Terry O'Quinn in it, and you'll basically have a good time. He is yeah. one of my all-time favorite character actors but the thing is like in lost when he has hair he does look like the stepfather but that's because he has been 60 years old for like his entire <laughs> life yeah <laughs> still is to this day it's crazy exactly he still looks great so the episode ends with one of those hurley listening to music montages oh God, this episode fucking rules. Yeah. Because this part is so good. Yeah, it's an especially sweet montage. It's one of those early 2000s, like, falsetto singer-songwriter songs. Yeah, it's Starbucks music. It's the kind of CDs Starbucks used to sell. It is. And, yeah, Michael and Jen are coming together to build the raft. Sun is in her bikini again because Jen can't tell her shit now. (laughs) and it's all good vibes, and then Mm -hmm. the batteries die in the CD player, (sighs) which is the thing. I feel like I remember at this point in the series, like back then, people were like, okay, that CD player isn't, like, it's just batteries have just been working this long. And they're like, all right, motherfuckers, no more montages. But that's the thing is, like, it's so eerie. Like, it's so well done because it's, like, it's such this great thing of like, oh, even that's gone now. And, and it, now what do we have? And it just ends on that note. It's yeah. so great. Lost. That is such a fucking great way to end an episode. And it really segues well into the next episode. Which yeah, called, absolutely. Which is called Numbers. Uh, not sure if people know, but numbers are pretty important to this show. They yeah, come. Now they are. This this is the thing. It's now that it happens. They come up. And this episode is a Hurley flashback. This is one of my favorite episodes. It's a great episode. This is absolutely top tier of the first season, at least, and the whole show. Yeah. Uh, it's I, so good. I love Hurley so much. He's such a good character. Yeah. And this is the first yes. time we get a whole lot of Hurley. For yeah. an entire episode. And it's such good shit. On island, off island, he gets so much good shit. It opens with everyone working on the raft. And Michael says that if they do happen to see a ship or something, they're going to have to have like a signal or some flares or something right. that they can shoot off so they can be seen. And they decide they're going to ask Saeed if he'll go get a battery from Russo, which he's not. He's not going to. I don't know why they even asked. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, he declines. He says he can barely make out what's in all of her weird writing anyway. Yeah. And in this moment. And I get it. If I were Saeed, I would also not be eager to go find the lady who strapped me to a weird bed frame and electrocuted me. (laughs) Yeah. She did torture him, you know, pulled a gun on him. She did some stuff. She did some things to Saeed. So he's not in favor of it. He is not going to do it. But while this is all happening, Hurley is looking at this sheet of paper and just intently staring at it. And it's this sheet of paper that has this number sequence written on it a bunch Mm -hmm. of times. And that sequence is four, eight, 
15, 16, 23, 42. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then cut to flashback. And he gets all freaked out. <laughs> yeah, he looks concerned. Yeah. And we quickly find out why. We cut to mm-hmm. flashback island. Hurley is at home watching TV, throwing down on an entire bucket uh, of chicken. Yes, the scene introduces one of my favorite characters in the show, Hurley's mom, <laughs> who is so great. I love her so much. She comes in and lectures him for being home as a man in his 30s on a Saturday night instead of going out and you finding know, some poon tang. judge, lady. <laughs> and that is when he finds out he won the lottery with yeah. those same numbers. Four. Yeah, it's done really well where he's not really listening, and so the, the TV audio is just in the background, and the only number he really hears is the last one is 42, yeah. and that makes him like, wait a minute. And then, yeah, and he passes the fuck out. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's when we cut to Lost. And I love that because there have been all these moments where – Walt and Hurley have had this ongoing backgammon game. Yes. And Hurley keeps losing, and Walt is like, Hurley owes me $83,000. And at one point, he mentions that to Hurley, and Hurley goes, you'll get it. And now we know if (laughs) they get off the island, he is going to get it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, there's been several allusions to him being extremely wealthy. Yeah. And it's never been heavily discussed until this point. And so now Hurley has some real questions for Saeed. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about this episode is so much of this show is people having secrets and going about trying to like convince people and, you know, scheme and like do things secretly to get what they want. And Hurley has no talent for any of that. He can only barrel ahead towards his objective. He's incapable of effectively, like, he has no chill. Right. But there's also some purpose to how he approaches Saeed. For sure. To ask his he questions. He knows what he's doing. Because he wakes him up in the middle of the night and yeah. asks about it, which, of course, Saeed's going to be kind of disoriented and not really paying as much attention as he normally would. And that's when Hurley steals the map. That is yeah. going to lead him to Russo, which uh, I like that little sleight of hand on Hurley's part. Sure. You don't expect that from him. Yeah, he's able to be devious, but he also, like, can't be stealthy, if that makes sense. Right. Like, he knows that he is noticeable. <laughs> and so now we start cutting back and forth between the island and Hurley's life as a lottery winner Pretty rapid fire pace with the cutting back and forth. Yeah. We cut to Hurley, the lottery winner. He's being interviewed by the media and he's saying all the lottery winner stuff. I'm going to buy my mom a house. I'm going to help everyone Mm -hmm. out. He talks about how his grandfather's been working three jobs for like 50 years. And then his grandfather drops dead of a heart attack right there on TV. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. It's a very sad moment and things get sadder. For Hurley. Yeah, that's the thing is that's like the tip of the misery iceberg for Hurley. (laughs) Because they quickly they cut to the island and Jack and Saeed find out Hurley has gone off to look for Russo. And they're like, we're going to try and catch up to him. And I'm like, I bet that's not going to be hard for Jack and Saeed to catch up with Hurley. (laughs) That shouldn't take too long. They kind of imply that, too. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think we can get there. Don't worry. 
And so then back on Flashback Island, now Hurley is in his new Hummer mm-hmm. and he's driving his, his hideous yellow Hummer. Yeah. He's driving his mom somewhere. And we find out that at his grandfather's funeral, the priest who was overseeing it got struck by lightning and right. killed. Well, yeah, that's the thing. He's taking her to the new house that he bought for Right, her. right. But he hasn't told her that yet. Right. But he's also like, I think this is cursed. The money's cursed. All this bad shit's happening. Yeah, the priest died at the funeral. <laughs> like, all this shit. And she gets mad at him for having the gall to say that the money would be cursed. Because the money, you know, right. has helped them out in a lot of ways. And uh, It's a miracle. You can't doubt a miracle. Right. And then they pull up to her new house. And Mm -hmm. she gets out without taking the blindfold off and immediately falls and breaks her ankle. Yes. Which is also partially Orly's fault because she didn't want to put the blindfold on. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't really need to blindfold her. It's not like she was knowing where they were. (laughs) Yeah. And so she falls and breaks her ankle. And then she goes, I smell smoke. And it turns out the house Hurley has brought her to see is on fire. Yeah. And as he's getting ready to call the police, the police mm-hmm. just pull up and mm-hmm. see an old woman on the ground, a house on fire, and Hurley standing next to a yellow SUV, and they just pull guns and immediately handcuff him. And he looks at his mom and goes, Mom, you think there's no such thing as a curse now? <laughs> The flashbacks are so good at towing that line between being really sad because a lot of really bad things are happening to it, but also funny because Hurley is funny. Yeah. So it's kind of got a little bit of a, not to give it too much praise, but it's a a little bit of a Cohen vibe where you're just seeing so many misfortunes happen to this guy. Especially the meeting with the accountant. That we see after that. Yes! Because we find out, yes, Hurley's been cursed, but like there have been like businesses that he's invested in that have burnt down. The police handcuffed him and pulled guns on him. But his accountant is like, but with like insurance payouts and what the payout you got from the LA. The money just keeps coming. And and Hurley's like, no! He's like, your net worth has doubled in like a year. Yeah, I love this. And Hurley's like, no, man, it's got to stop. This money is cursed. And the accountant's like, your money's not cursed, man. Sometimes bad things just happen. And at that exact moment, a body just falls past them outside the window. Yeah. Yeah. So I think good. we find out later that that's somebody that we meet later. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. There's someone else in this episode that I believe we we see and then see again later. Is this the right one? Yes. Well, the, who are you thinking of? When Hurley goes looking for the guy who he got the numbers from. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a doctor there who ends up being one of the doctors on the Dharma initiative? I don't think so, but I know he does show back up. He reappears in Hurley flashbacks, but I don't know. I could be wrong. It's been a minute since I've rewatched the whole series. I feel like there's a video that they see at one point that involves him and the rabbits or something like that. Hmm. Maybe not. But I mean, they love to do that shit, so it might, I know they might have I, brought him back. When I saw that face, I got like, oh, that's one yeah. of the guy's vibes. But I maybe. can't remember, but... Yeah, I could be wrong. I do have a memory of the guy getting thrown off being important. It's such a funny moment. And I just love the fact that he hates 
the money so much. Like, great wealth has obviously not made him happy at all. Yeah. And so there's a fun scene where right after that, Hurley is making his way through the jungle and Jack and Saeed catch up to him right at the same time he steps Mm. on a pressure plate. It's going to trigger a booby trap. And I right away had the same thought Hurley has, which is, well, now now you can see it coming. So you can just step off and move out of the way. Maybe. That's what he does. And it works. Yeah. But he has one of my favorite lines. He's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. And they're trying to talk. And they're like, no, don't do it. Just stay still. Or like, don't move. And he's like, no, I can do it. I'm spry. <laughs> Which is <laughs> yeah. such a funny line. <laughs> I'm spry. <laughs> and so then we get the flashback at the hospital that we just mentioned. He goes to the hospital because he thinks these numbers are cursed. Not the money. He thinks the numbers right. are cursed. And uh, it turns out he got these numbers from a guy named Lenny, who... Mm-hmm was a patient at a mental hospital. And that's when we find out Hurley was also a patient at the same mental hospital. Mm -hmm. And he encounters Len, and Len is just, like, repeating these numbers over and over and over, like, muttering them under his voice. It's the only thing he said for, like, over a decade. Yes, which he's muttering these numbers, and Hurley's talking to him, and Hurley's talking to him. And then Hurley goes, I use the numbers to win the lottery. And that moment when Len stops <laughs> muttering the numbers and goes, you use them to win the lottery? Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> it's so good. And Lenny starts freaking the fuck out and says yeah. that Hurley has opened the box. Yeah. And he should not have done that. It's so good. I mean, you know, it's a classic psychological thriller, you know, go to the mental hospital thing and the guy suddenly becomes lucid. It's so fun. And yeah, it's so creepy. Like you immediately are like, what is actually going on here? Yeah. I like the scene where they encounter a bridge in the jungle and Hurley is just like, fuck it. I'm going to go across it. Yes. Yeah. It's like a one of those classic rickety rope, rope bridges. bridges. Yeah. It's great. And then Charlie goes next and he like damn near dies and then the bridge breaks. Right. But he does go like, if he can make it, <laughs> like yeah. I can make it. <laughs> but this is the moment where he goes to Australia back on on Flashback right. Island, because when Lenny was being dragged out of the room, he shouted the name Sam to me. Australia. Yeah. And somehow Hurley tracks this guy down and yeah. he shows up at the guy's house. But uh oh, Sam's dead now. But yes, his wife is alive and she knows a little bit about the numbers and what she says is basically that sam had this job where he was monitoring some sort of radio transmissions and it was usually just static but sorry finding lost book we find out that about 16 years ago a (laughs) transmission started that was very strange it was like mostly numbers Mm -hmm. and we know now it was those numbers and right sam went off course and just started looking for those And he used those numbers to, like, win a local contest? Yeah, it was a jelly bean counting thing where there was, like, a big jar of jelly beans and the answer was all of the numbers in sequence. Right. Down to the bean. Yeah, they got (laughs) it down to the bean. And he won money in that. And on the way Mm -hmm. home from that, he gets in a car accident and his wife lost her leg. Yep. And he eventually came to believe that all the bad luck was because he used those numbers for his own gain. And I think that's the moment where Hurley's like, oh, it's the numbers. That's what's cursed. Like, at some point, he realizes it's not the money. It's the numbers. 
Exactly. And this guy, like, moved his family to the middle of the desert to escape this curse. Right. And it didn't work, and he ended up taking his own life to make it stop. Yeah, it's sad, but also, like, the wife doesn't believe in the curse at all and is really pissed off when Hurley is like, what caused the curse? And she's like, there's no fucking curse. Yeah. (laughs) I like the part where back on the island, Jack and Saeed and Hurley and Charlie are moving separately through the jungle. Jack, like, trips a tripwire that destroys Russo's lab because she had that booby trapped in case they show up. Meanwhile, Hurley and Charlie are talking and Charlie stops and like demands to know why they're looking for Russo. And the conversation they're having is so intense that when someone starts shooting at him, it takes a couple shots before Hurley's (laughs) like, someone's shooting at us. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's such a fun scene. And of course, it's Russo shooting at them. And uh, Hurley being fucking Hurley. He actually manages to talk Russo out of that goddamn battery. He finds out what the number, like he doesn't find out what the numbers are about, but right, he knows Russo heard the numbers too and doesn't know what they mean. He finds out that she went and changed the transmission to what it is right. now and gets all of this fucking aid and assistance from Russo by just being like a normal person and talking well, yeah to and it's another like there was another instance of this earlier on oh yeah it was between saeed and sawyer but it's a moment of people on the island who are antagonistic to each other bonding over the mysterious fucked up shit that's happening on the island yeah like the fact that he recognizes he has his own specific weird thing that he's trying to figure out intrigues her and gets her to put the gun down Yeah. And yeah, he at one point, Charlie comes running back to Jack and Saeed and is like, hey, someone shot at me and Hurley, which I feel like they would have heard, but I guess not. Well, but I mean, they didn't hear it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And uh, Hurley just comes casually strolling up with that battery and is like, yeah, she said to tell you, she says, hey, yeah, (laughs) such a fun moment. It is. He's so good. What a great member of the cast. I'm so glad that he's on the show. And throughout all of this, there's been this like side plot, but not really even a side plot where Locke is building something and he's talking to Claire the whole time. And like whenever you see him building it, like there's one point where it's got like spikes and shit. And it's like, well, that's obviously to trap a boar or something. (laughs) It's nice. And then you get to the end and ah, he's been building a cradle for Claire's baby. Very sweet. It's really sweet. And the whole episode kind of, like, as far as the people on the island, it's all pretty amicable and nice all the way to the end. Like, Charlie and Hurley have this (laughs) fun conversation where he's talking to Charlie about the curse, and Charlie's like, it's not a curse, man. Let me tell you what I was doing when the plane crashed. Well, he says that he thinks that he's responsible for the plane crashing. That's his big guilt thing, and, and that kind of pisses Charlie off a little bit. Yeah. So Charlie tells him a big secret, which is that he's addicted to heroin. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you want to reciprocate? You want to tell me a secret? And I feel like everyone had to know what was coming next. Right. Hurley's like, all right, back home. I'm worth $156 million. And Charlie thinks he's fucking with him and gets pissed. Right. He's He's like, like, you know, I told you a real classic (laughs) thing. I love that joke. It's so funny. And then at the very end... There's Uh a shot of, it's the hatch door, right? I think. Yeah, it's the place where Boone and Locke have been, like, digging up the hatch. Right. 
And we see that on the side of the hatch, there's some mm-hmm. numbers stamped. Can you guess what they are? 69420. Woo! Woo! Actually, oh, and then wait. Lost. Wait, no. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote that down wrong. It's 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Oh, those numbers. Yeah, but there it's is cool. some guitar it's such shreddage a good at the end. Yeah. <laughs> lost. It's such a good moment. I love that so much. It is. It's great. And that brings us to the end of the episode, which is convenient because we have to record something else in 10 minutes. <laughs> a little behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, do we have any final thoughts? These are two high yeah. quality episodes. These are two Absolutely. of the better episodes, not just season one. I think the whole show. They're vitally important episodes. Like I said at the beginning, like they're important in the big picture thing of like you know the numbers being really big for the mythology and all that stuff but like it's also huge character pivots for especially Jin, who finally starts to become a relatable person from here on and then hurley also gets a nice amount of depth while retaining his humor and comic relief kind of status yeah these are good episodes but I think that is our episode. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Adam Top, uh, Substack.com. Go read my writings. There's that. What do you got? Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, not really. I, I guess Twitter. Hey there, Hydar. However <laughs> long that's going to be there. No, I don't really have any plugs. No. Perfect. Then let's. Well, conspiracy the show, but you guys are already listening. You're already, you better be listening to that already. Come <laughs> on. All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>